0: Richard Gomez, can you guys please come forward? We want to welcome you guys once again to the membership of North Park Baptist Church, but also, uh, you've guys done that before. I mean, here's some time now, but they were just baptized here recently, so we want to give them a certificate of a, a recognition. And uh, did you know that these are legal documents, by the way? You can use these. Yeah uh... But you can't get uh, you can't go to Europe with those, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, not like that. You can't. No. Richard. Oh. Yeah. Now, now oh. you can. <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. <laughs> All right. Let, le- le- That's cool. Is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> Let me step down. <laughs> 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 okay. Zoom in. Zoom, you in. To zoom out. <laughs> Uh, if oh, God bless you guys if you guys uh, well thank you uh, you need to hear their testimony as to why they were rebaptized. I won't tell it uh, they'll tell you though but uh, whenever, whenever you guys get a chance I just talk to them it's amazing it, it, is, it is genuinely amazing I'm sorry right now what are we doing? Oh, uh, okay. Oh, sit down halfway. I got you. I'm sorry. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Their testimony is, is amazing. Uh, you know, they, 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 they were here before they were here for some time, uh, and they moved from the area. And, uh, so they started going to the church and they called me after COVID and I says, Hey, uh, you can, you know, it was, it was neat. They asked, can we come back to sure? <laughs> of course you can. We'd love to have you guys back. And, uh, it's it's been it's just been amazing, uh, an amazing journey. Thank you for being here, uh, Sylvia. God bless you. Praying that everything's going well with you. All right, and uh, every, well everyone else as well. Thank you for being here this morning. Let me open up your Bibles. Uh, ask I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to First Thessalonians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some in the pews, and it's on page 986. You see, now it's getting a little bit easier to to use the Bibles now. Before I would say First Thessalonians. If it's hard to find, you'll be able to find it. It's right next to 2 Thessalonians, but now you have a page number, and we are in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go over the whole chapter today. We talked about it a little here in the last few weeks, couple weeks, and, uh, and, and the most important thing that I want to share with you today is your salvation, your salvation. We've been talking about that a little bit, um, the first the first. Time that we jumped into First Thessalonians, there are three things, three signs that uh, that show that is that should be evident in a person's life. And uh, and then now, and then we talked about how you were chosen. Again, we're gonna go over that and why God chose you out of his own good pleasure, not because he liked you, not because you were good, not because uh, of your certain pedigree or or nationality or lineage or whatever. A lot of people think, well, my grandma was a Christian, and so my mama was a Christian, so therefore that makes me a Christian. Some people used to believe because you were born in the United States, you're a Christian. Uh, God, God, we found out last Sunday that that's not the case. The case is that God just chooses you just because of his grace. And, uh, and, so, and so today we're going to go over that. And then, and then we're also going to look at some other evidences of your salvation. Whoever God change, chooses, God changes. God changes the chosen. He's the one that changes you. A lot of what we've tried to do on our own accord, on our own strength, we haven't been able to do. We try to use willpower. We've used 12 steps. We've used whatever the case may be. I know that when I came to the saving grace uh, of Jesus Christ, it was irresistible. I just could not resist the fact that God loved me. And when I found that out, I just, I just, it was one step for me. My drug life, my alcoholic life, my everything life, it, it didn't take 12 steps. For me, it was just one step. Now I know that there's a 12-step program that works for a lot of people that helps people at least to see that one step that they made. But it does not take 12 steps to become a Christian. It does not take you know three steps. It does, it takes it's just one step. God opens your heart and He allows you to see His truth. Now I I want to I want to start off by first of all reading this whole chapter. Then I'm going to go back to where we ended up last Sunday and then kind of tie it all in together. But from the very beginning at the end. Uh, chapter 1 verse 1. Paul's writing to the people in Thessalonica. Thessalonica once again was a very prominent city. It, it was strategic. It was strategic that Paul would just to go there. He spent a short amount of time. Uh, he says in in, Thessalonica, in the Thessalonians, he tells them he was only there three Sabbaths or in Acts, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 17, he was only there three Sabbaths. In other words, three weeks. And then uh, that's as much time as he was able to preach in the synagogues. But most people believe that he was there a little bit longer because he did receive some correspondence. He did receive some. He did work for some time. So it could be less than six months, maybe a year, if that. But the short amount of time that Paul had there, he had to leave in such a great hurry because they were persecuting not only him, but the people that he hung around with. And so the people that he was hanging around with, they, they, when they didn't find Paul, they took them out in the streets and they, they banned him from the synagogue. They took away his money. There are all kinds of things that happened to this poor guy. You know, because... He was an associate of Paul. And we'll find out here today also that there were other people that were being persecuted for the faith that they had placed in Jesus Christ. And so Thessalonica was a very prominent city, had a lot of paganism, a lot of idol worship, a lot of, uh, you know, most of the people in in the Gentile world, they would call the Christians or Jews, they would call them atheists because, well, we only have one God. And they had plenty of gods. And it's kind of strange for them to call us atheists, right? Right? Because we believe in God. He says, yeah, but you guys only got one. <laughs> we have one for the moon, one for the stars, one for the water, one for, well, you name it. And they just, they just went on and on and on. And so when Christianity came in, when Paul started to preach the gospel and people were getting changed, there was an evident sign. There was something totally different about these people in Thessalonica. And this evidence is the evidence of a new church, of how a a church should be. A model church should be something that each one of us should strive for. And so as we read this letter in the first chapter, we're going to go through that first chapter right now. Keep that in the back of your mind and just the struggles that they were going through, the things that they understood and, and didn't understand, and what it took for them to get to the place where Paul was able to commend them to being chosen of God. Paul. who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this powerful letter. It's short, but has so much information for us and so much encouragement and, and so much truth that we can live by. We want to be a model church, Lord. We pray that you can help us to, to see what Paul was looking at and what he saw in the Thessalonians, what he saw at the church there and how it was that it was reported to him of all the great things and was going on in the short amount of time that he had so father I pray that you continue to lead us as we dig in and dive into your word we pray in Jesus name and everyone says Amen. amen very first thing that we see well first of all we give thanks to God he's always thanking God and mentioning them in prayers remembering before God our father and he says he uses three three statements he says the work of faith I've seen, and we talked about this the first Sunday that we went over the uh, Thessalonians, their work of faith that was just, faith without works is dead, okay? Basically is that, you know, just like the body without a spirit is dead, then the same thing happens with faith. If you have faith, then there needs to be some evidence. You need to be walking in the image of Jesus Christ. You need to walk in the image or, or imitate the apostles. You need to imitate the leaders of the church. And this saying something to us leaders, it, it's, very, it's a very high calling that we keep ourselves in that vein, in that area, in that and not so that we can be above everyone else because people are following our example. And we are commanded to lead by example. And so uh, this morning, I, I forget what it was. Uh, oh, yeah, I was late to the practice this morning. And, uh, you know, I won't mention who it was, but his initials are James Silva. Yeah. He, uh, he said to me, it's okay, Pastor. You're the pastor. You can t- you take your time. I says, no, no, I need, I need to lead by example. I can't just, you know, show up late. Then you're going to think it's okay to show up late. You know, it's no. <laughs> you know, you, you're trying. I know you're trying to be nice, but still, no, no. Uh, we have to lead by example in the smallest details. Uh, if if I'm going to fail in the smallest, you know, what's going to happen in the biggest? Right. And so we have to continue to do that. And so the, the what Paul is saying, you know, your work of faith, you, you your faith was evident. It was working. You changed. And he's going to show to he's going to talk to them about how he did that. Your labor of love oh, your love just all of a sudden just blossomed because you understood how much God loves you. You understand that you were chosen not because of what it was that uh you did because what you were doing and what I was doing what we were doing prior to coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ was not honoring God at all. Yet, <laughs> you know and and that still blows me away that yet because it doesn't matter on how bad I was and, and all the stupid mistakes I'm still making, he he's he, he still loves me. That that is like that just even after he knew all the things I was going to do and I'm doing and done. Yeah, you know, just how, how can you not love back the creator? And Paul is saying and it's evident in your life and it shows and this 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 wor- work of faith, this labor of love. And he says, and, and, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. you you know, And they were going through persecution. Paul experienced it. They told him to get out. We'll take the brunt for it. We'll take the brunt of it. And we will will handle it from our end. If they persecuted you, then they're going to persecute us. If they crucified Jesus Christ, then they're going to crucify us. And we know that we endure because we have this hope. Remember, it's not an I wish. It's this expectation. We have this hope, this expectation in Jesus Christ that he's coming back again. And so this endurance... It has been called the endurance of the saints, uh, the, endurance of the perseverance of the saints, excuse me, how we are able to get through this world because we know that Jesus Christ is coming back. And so we persevere and we persevere and our salvation is never lost. And no matter what seems to happen, we are, we are complete and we are held steadfast in Jesus Christ because of what he does. Then he goes on to say, for we know, brothers, love by God that he has chosen you. You know, and, and I went over a lot of verses about being chosen, elect, the uh, uh, predestination and how God has determined this from the beginning of time. And it's a hard concept for us to understand because we want to think that we have more control over our life than than we would like to believe. But really, there's nothing in our control I mean you had no control you had no choices to when you were going to be born you had no control no choices to how you were going to be born or what time you were going to be born uh, to, to what parents you were going to be born you had you were brought onto this planet just by God's own grace and he gives and he takes away one day he's going to be take we're going to be taken away from this place yesterday we celebrated the life of a four-year-old it was a very difficult t- time the mom was just you know is mad mad at god of course with all i understand and i shared with them about the the faith of a child you know that well first of all in, in matthew uh, in mark jesus is saying let the little children come to me for for such as these is the kingdom of heaven and jesus promised heaven to these little ones he says, this is their, they're going to receive heaven. And then he goes on to say, but if you do not uh, come to me in, like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, when this child came to a point in his life that Jesus said, it's time to come home. And he looked at Jesus, I'm sure, and he looked at his mom and he says, I love you, mom, but I love Jesus more. That's the kind of faith that we have to have. You know, I, I love you, family, wife, children, grandkids, but I love Jesus more. And if Jesus said go, then I, I need to go. And this young child, he says, I know you're going to miss me, Mom, but you know what? I got to go because there's more trucks. There's more, there's more fun up in heaven. And it's, it's difficult for us to understand because we are so temporal. We, we, we hold on to this world. And, and we want to hold on to everything that's here, but all of this is just going. We're finite human beings. God is infinitely, forever. And I, I can't even measure forever. I can't even begin to describe to you forever. And, and so we know, we, we know that the, the, we have this hope that God has chosen. The children are already in God's hand. At one point in time, somewhere, you'll, you'll have to be, uh, God is going to bring to you this Realization of how you have been elected and chosen as well, and it's 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 important to know that you are still accountable. Now, how that works out, I don't know, but the Bible talks about your accountability. I wish I understood. I I can't understand that. I really not on this side of. Eternity I can't, but in heaven we will be able to understand it. And I don't try to pretend that I know that happens. And I mentioned last week that, you know, because some are predestined, I mean, it just automatically makes sense that you believe that, well, if I'm predestined to heaven, then there must be some others that are predestined to hell. The Bible does not teach that. It does not teach that at all. It it teaches that if a person uh, is, is destined to not be in heaven with God forever, it was because of his own response and responsibility. God holds him responsible. Now, I can't go any further than that. Because otherwise, I can get into a lot of the verses and stuff. But, but I do want you to know this, that as I closed last Sunday, I said this that in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. One of the verses that a lot of evangelists use, and I've used it myself, is, I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is knocking at your door. Now, that verse is taken out of context. However, that's how I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They... T- my pastor says, you know, Jesus wants to enter your heart. And, and I was already overwhelmed by what I have heard. And, and I'm already thinking, really, he's going to forget after I think, you know, not me, <laughs> maybe you or somebody, but not me. He goes, no, he wants to forgive you. Oh, all right. All you have to do, again, was the response. All you have to do is pray this prayer. And that's it? Just pray that prayer? Yes. And I prayed that prayer. Now, I want you to know something, beloved, that Jesus Christ, well, let me, let me show you better. Let, let me ask you to turn to Acts chapter 16, I believe. And, and there were a lot of other verses that I wish I could have shared with you. I just shared with you a few. But in Acts chapter 16, um, oh, yeah, page number, uh, 925. This is called the conversion of Lydia. In Acts chapter 15, 16, I'm sorry, you're right, but it's at page 925. <laughs> Page 920, Acts 16. Thank you, Hermana. And it's in verse 11. It starts off so, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to uh, Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. We went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now he's in a he's in a gentile nation, he's in a gentile city, and he after the synagogue they're sitting outside and these women were there, and one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her whole, whole ho- her household as well, she urged us saying, "If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay." And she prevailed upon us. You see how the Lord God opened my heart at the time of this pastor, which I, I'm ever I'm forever thankful for him. My pastor that, that, that led us to the, the throne of grace, and I, I really believe that it was him, he saved me. I used to say that, but it was God that opened my heart at just the right time. And it was because of the word that he used. You see, the sinner's prayer doesn't save anybody. I was saved in spite of the sinner's prayer. And God used that moment, that time in my life, and he brought me to a place that I'd never, but I'd been there a couple of times to visit to this place. You know, it was big. It was, yeah, it was okay. It was comfortable. but, But the whole point of this is that God had, he drew us. He drew both my wife and I. We sat in front of his desk in his office, and he shared with us the grace of God. I was already overwhelmed, and I'm thinking, there's no way. And he says, all you have to do is say this prayer. Really? That prayer didn't save me. It was God. Who opened my heart? It's God that opened your heart. If the sinner's prayer you believe saved you, I believe that it happened in spite of. If you said that prayer, if you came forward at a at a conference or an evangelistic uh, crusade or whatever the case may be, and you came forward and you genuinely wept and you said, "I, I want to repent," and you repented, that's the evidence, and we're going to see some of that evidence right now—the evidence of your changed life. Because whoever God chooses, He changes. He does not leave you the same way. It's, 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 you know, it's incongruent. You can't say, oh, I'm a believer, but I'm going to live like the world. It doesn't work that way. And this is why I am very adamant about that sinner's prayer. Some people believe that, you know, I said the prayer. I went forward. I raised my hand. I even got a Bible with the date on it. They gave me a spiritual birthday. I got two birthdays. You know, and I'm going to go drink a beer now. I'll see you later. You know, I'm going to I'm done. I'm going to heaven. You know, what's saved, always saved, right? Is the response of a lot of people. And this is why I'm so wanting to make this clear that, yes, the sinner's prayer can save people. I mean, not the prayer itself. People get saved in spite of the sinner's prayer. It is God that opens your heart. And you do that because somebody spoke the word of God to you. It is by faith that you're saved. It's by, say, it's by grace that you're saved through faith. All by, just like this child is saved by grace alone. He didn't do anything for it. He's saved and walked into heaven. You as well will be saved in such manner. God will open your heart. And you know what, beloved? Got, You've got a lot of people around you that God wants to open their heart. And he's going to open their heart. But he wants to use you. He wants to use you to tell them about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Because number one, when you understand this, number one, when you understand that God changes you, the first thing that happens is the gospel message it dominates your life. Dominate your life with the gospel. It's what happens uh, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul says, you know, this is something that happens the gospel message. When it's proclaimed clearly, when you understand the bad news, you understand that there's good news because the good news has to overcome the bad news. And Jesus Christ came to bring the good news, excuse me. And because he came to bring the good news and you received the good news because you understood the bad news, I already understood that part. I came to the, <laughs> our pastor. And this is, this is unfortunate. When we started the church, there was a group that helped us out. And they would always ask us, you know, how many people did you guys save this week? Well, I'd have to keep tally. I'd have to go around, find sinners and save them. So, okay, there's one. There's, you know, I did 20 this week. Oh, great. All right. You know, so I was saving, I was saving people that, you know, I don't know if I'll ever see them in heaven, to be honest with you, but I did my job. And, and that's, that's the part about this, helping people do the sinner's prayer. It's like a checklist type of thing. Okay. That's one. That's two. Uh, and, and so the fact of the matter is, is that salvation, God has to do, and in my case, the gospel message came to me, and it was so clear. It was so evident that I was a sinner. I knew I was going to hell. I wanted, didn't want my children to go to, to hell. I wanted them to go to heaven. And the pastor says, what about you? I said, I'm done. I'm going to hell. I know this. But the gospel message was so overpowering, so irresistible that it dominated my life. And and from that point forward, that's all I've ever wanted to do is just to live in that glory and that power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what he did. As a matter of fact, in in 2 Thessalonians, we'll see in chapter 2, to this he called you through our gospel. Paul was so involved and wrapped it wasn't his gospel okay it's not his good news but he took ownership of that good news this is my good news i've received it and i want to give it to you it wasn't that he was the one that created this good news it was god's gospel god's good news but it was he was so involved in it it was it just flowed through him that it's it's mine it's mine and i want to give as many much of this away to everyone i don't want to keep it to myself but i want to share it yeah, and that's why he says again this to this He called you through our gospel, Timothy, Silas, and everyone else, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see here? Do you see here how this is still the responsibility? Though the gospel message and God's going to open up hearts, it's still your responsibility to obtain it. It's still your responsibility to receive it. It's still your responsibility to, and you're going to be held accountable for the receiving or not receiving of the gospel. But it's God that's going to open up your heart. It's God that's going to give you this gospel. And he's going to give it to you by people, by men and women that are sharing the gospel. In Romans 10, 14, How then will they call on him? uh, how How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? One of the... One of the, uh, I guess, questions people have with this predestination chosen. Well, then, if God already knows who's going to be chosen, why even evangelize? Why share the gospel? Well, it's right here. How are they going to do this if you don't tell them? Yes, I'm going to save them, but I want to use you. I'm telling you to tell people so that the gospel message could be heard because in verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's how it comes. They've got to hear it. That trans, you know, God can just snap his fingers and change anybody at any time. He can do that. But his role in in, in salvation, your role in salvation, he wants to use you. Because you are the person that he's changed. Yesterday, people, you know, James and Winter, these were friends of your, One of your friends, and um, I don't want to say exactly how they were friends, but we'll just say back in the day. <laughs> and as I was talking to this young lady, I says, well, you, you know, Winter and James Says, yeah, well, they've changed. You, you really? Oh, yeah. They, she used to, and I go, okay, I, I don't need to know. <laughs> but, it, it, but, but, you know, she's, she's really changed. That should be evident in people's lives. People should see that in your, in your world, in your walk, and in your talk, and how you live, and what you do, and, and how you congregate and don't congregate. That, that should be all part of who you are. It's interesting. I've shared this story a number of times and I'm going to share it again. I went to go pick up some material from this place that we were renting or borrowing stuff from. And the two guys that were helping me, the guy that was in charge and the guy that was helping him, the guy that was in charge, he says, "Uh, so what are you guys going to do? Oh, we're going to use it for our church. Oh, really? He says, I go to church. And his helper says, you do what? You go to church? (laughs) And I looked at him. I says, "Eh, that's not good. I have no idea what he meant by that, but that is not good if he doesn't know you go to church. People should know that you at least go to church. You can't tell them. You can tell them. But more is caught than it is taught. And so when you're teaching and when you're sharing, it's more than just talking about it. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, Paul says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk only, but in power, in the power that the Holy Spirit has given you and how you live your life and how you walk the talk and how you walk the talk. Number two, you see, God changes you to imitate the life of Jesus Christ. Whoever God chooses, He changes, and He changes you to imitate the life of Christ, not the life of the pastor, though the pastor and the leaders should be following the example of Christ, and you should be following the example of the leaders, but your life should be starting to look more like Jesus. People should, in all honesty, in this world, the world, not other Christians, but this world, they, they should not like you. You should rub them the wrong way. You you should be able to to walk into a room and say, Ah, oh, here comes that holy roller. You know, oh you know what? You gonna come talk to me about Jesus? My own family tells me that. I still go there. I still I still I'm still there. You know, and and now that you know things have changed, I'm not there as much as I used to be. I, I probably won. I've I've done years and years and years of ministering. I'm not done, but at least for now, okay, we'll see what happens from this point forward. But everywhere you go, people should know that somehow you're imitating the life of Christ. Look at what Paul says in verse 6, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus Christ, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They were being afflicted. They were being tortured. They were being persecuted. They were being called all kinds of radical names. You guys are just turning the world upside down. You know, we, we loved our sin. And of course we do. Because our sin is fun. Because if fun was a bummer, nobody would do it. You know, and sin, sin is actually fun, is what Moses said, or excuse me, James said about Moses. Like Moses, he, he would rather be with his people than enjoy fun or sin for a season. And it's only for a season. And, and, and so they were imitators of Paul and of Silas and Timothy and, and, of of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they received the word with much affliction. Now, some people say, yeah, you know, I've got to afflict you with this word. I've got to make it hurt in your life. No, that's not what he's meaning. The affliction that they were receiving was not from the word itself. The affliction that they were receiving was from the people that was around them, the culture. Because what happens is, you know, you're no longer like the the person of before. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so it does not matter where you grew up or how, what church you go to. It doesn't matter, you know, whether your parents were Christians or not. It doesn't matter if, if what only thing that matters is this, is in, in Galatians 6.15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Basically what Paul is saying is not just the act of circumcision, but the religion of circumcision. Either you're religious or you're not religious. That that doesn't count for anything. It's it's the customs that you grew up with. It's the not only just the act of it, but everything that comes along with it as a Jew. Or maybe you weren't a Jew and you have other customs and religions and things that you do. And Paul says none of that counts. The the one thing that counts, are you a new creation? Are you different? Are you born again? Not born back into the same thing that you were before, but are you born again? And Paul says to, to the people in Corinth, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I remember we used to have a brother here. He's long gone to be with the Lord. Uh, he used to always say, don't, don't follow me. I'll, I'll lead you straight. Don't, don't follow my example. Uh, don't, don't, don't do what I say. And I think my wife one time told him, you know, brother, doesn't that verse say in 1 Corinthians 11, follow my example? I follow the example of Christ. He goes, oh, yeah, okay. So get your life right. You have to follow my example. Well, Paul says, be imitators of me. And you know, this is a verse that haunts me all the time. And we have to be careful, men of God, not just the leaders, but all men of God. Number three, you see, God changes who he chooses and he creates a joy in all circumstances. He creates joy in all circumstances. And this joy, it's not like Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. Okay, it's not happiness. Happiness comes from the word happistance. And happiness has to deal with your surroundings. If everything is good, then I'm happy. And if it's not good, then I'm not happy. Because what do they say? If mama ain't happy? Oh, happy? oh, okay. Well, some of you guys know this one. So they say, I don't know. I've not really experienced that in our house, but still. We have happiness only when things are, having, are, are going our way. We are happy or we're not. But see, this is joy. And this is part of the fruit of the Spirit. And every one of you already have this joy. It's love, first and foremost, to love the unlovable, to love beyond major, to love God for what He has done, as we explained a little while ago. Love, joy. You see, you cannot have the next one, peace, or patience. People pray for the number four. That I want patience by skipping love, joy, and peace. I want patience, but you got to learn how to love first, especially the unlovable, especially the one that's cutting you off in front of you or honking behind you or the, the, those that are making you late or causing you to wait in line. You know, I was at a bank just uh, yesterday, Friday, and, oh, this guy was just not having a good time. Poor guy. I mean, I could understand. I mean, they were just messing him up. Left. I'm sorry, yeah, we did this last week. And, and he's just going on, and he was just not joyful. I got to the front. I says, can I give you a hard time? She says, please don't. I go, okay, I'm going to pray for you. Oh, thank you. I'm going to pray for you. Joy happens in all circumstances. Always. Paul tells them, so that you may be an example to all the believers in Macedonia with this joy, this joy that you have, this joy that, that is abounding everywhere. In verse 6, so if we go back there, it says, and you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction, affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia. I'm a Christian. Really? Yeah. What church you go to? I, I go to North Park. Church. Oh, yeah, really? You know, man, I just can't stand these people here. They're making me. You know, hey, you know what? If you're going to be doing that, tell them you're a Christian. Don't tell them you come to our church. <laughs> OK, don't tell them you come to North Park. Tell them you go to Pick some other church. <laughs> because Christians ought to be the most joyful people ever. In, spite, in all circumstances. And, and I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. You see, in Romans 14, and this is not in your online, but Paul is talking about having fun and joy in all circumstances when he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking and partying, but it's of righteousness and of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, And this joy is not something you can just make. It's spiritual. You cannot have joy without the Holy Spirit. You can have happiness. You can have a temporal type of laughter. You know, you can force it. You can fake it. But nothing eternal will come from it. This joy comes directly from the Holy Spirit, especially during affliction. Now, I don't know. To be honest, I don't know how I'm going to respond if something were to happen to us in the way that it happened to this young lady yesterday. You know, but but I I would I would like to believe that that I'm gonna have joy in spite of all that is going on. Is it gonna hurt? Yeah, of course it is. Am I gonna cry? I, I wept with the young lady. I mean, I, I, it was it was difficult to to grasp because of my finite mind. I can't understand it, but I know God understands it, and that's where I place my focus. And so. This affliction that these people were going through, they were going through it because of the word of God, because of the word that was preached to them. In Acts chapter 5, they say in 41, and you have this in your outlines, then they left the presence of the council. What had happened here is that they had arrested the apostles and they beat them and they put them in prison. And, and they said, you guys, stop preaching the gospel around here. It's, it's, why? Well, it's just because it doesn't make sense to us. But doesn't—we we shouldn't stop us from preaching the gospel. Who are we going to listen to, you or God? Well, you just stop preaching the gospel. And they let them go. And then and they beat him, first of all. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And to them, it was like, it's a badge of honor. It's a badge of honor to be able to, to do so. In Philippians 4.4, 4, if you remember, when we went through the, the book of Philippians, Paul was in prison. And it's called the gospel or the epistle of joy. And if you didn't know that he was in prison, you wouldn't know it by what he was writing. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Just have a great time. You know, and he's I'm, I can just see him just waiting in those arms and the, and, and the guard to say, hey, 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 stop that, man. I'm trying to sleep here because he was chained to the guard, you know. And it was just one of those types, the joy that you just cannot muster on your own. And, and a changed person, when God chooses you, He changes that, and He gives you that joy. And some of you have gone through some traumatic experiences, I know. I've, I've been personally there. And, and I, I see the, the struggles that you still have with what's happened in your life. But I also see the joy. I also see you smile. And I know that, that it's the only reason that you can actually get up every morning and continue to do what God's called you to do is because of that joy. You see, because it started with love, joy, and then he gives you the peace that surpasses all understanding. Everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. Number three, I create, uh, oh, did we just do number three? Oh, Oh, number four. Okay, I got two number threes here. Communicate. Uh, When God changes you and he changes the chosen, here's what happens. You communicate the gospel. That's all you want to do. You want to communicate the gospel. Paul says to the people uh, in in Thessalonica in verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. This word sounded forth. This word is a Greek word. It's like the sounding of a trumpet, the the, the yelling out in the bullhorn just making it known that i gotta tell you guys something it's not just hey you know i i want to share the gospel with you, you know but i hope nobody's listening uh, you know it's not it's not passing out a track here you go oh i shared the gospel with somebody here you go no it is literally walking up and talking loud and explaining this is the gospel message and I've done that over and over again, and I've never been in, reinvited back to some of these places. Because I say it loud. Okay, as, I, as long as you heard it just this one time. You heard it, okay, great, I did my job. God's going to send me somewhere else, and I've never been invited back again. That's okay. Communicate the gospel with power. And this word, like I said, it's 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 this sounding forth, this blowing of the trumpet, this blast of the trumpet. It's very intense. And it's very. And Paul is saying, this is what I heard. I heard it way over here. I heard it way over where I'm at that. You guys are just blasting it all over. You're putting people on blasts. I basically what I'm saying. And, and you're, you're telling people about the gospel and you're sharing with them about what Jesus Christ has done for you and what he can do for them. And guess what happened? Well, they were persecuted. They were. They had trials. They, they were ousted. They weren't invited to parties anymore. You know, they were told, you know, eh, don't invite those guys. You know, we only have invitation for, for 30 people. Can you guys? do you guys? No, no, not at all. We don't mind. But you know what? Uh, if I ever get a chance, I'll, I'll share the gospel with you next time. Uh, and, and so that's, that's the reality of it. Once again, if people feel very comfortable around you, especially those that are in the world, Those that are living in sin, you know, then then there's something wrong there. You you know, you can be uh, loving and caring without being judgmental or condemning. You know, and unfortunately, the very first thing people say when you start talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the sin that these people are in, the very first thing they say, and they even quoted, the whole world knows this verse. Judge not, lest ye be judged. You know, that's the first word they throw. I mean, even though the wicked people know this verse. Judge, lot, judge not lest ye be judged, really? So, so where do you hear that from? I don't know. It's in the Bible somewhere. Where? <laughs> Tell me where it's at before you start quoting that verse. You know, uh, <laughs> do not misquote scripture lest you be like Satan. You know, because that's what Satan does. He takes the verse and moves it around wherever you want. In actuality, it's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Jesus is saying, you know, do not judge, do not condemn. You know, and, and, and it's, yes, you're going to get that all the time. People are going to say, are you judging? Because the word grino is uh, the word that we use for, it's used in many different ways in the Bible. Grino is used as condemn or judge or to measure or to evaluate. And we're told not to condemn. Only God can condemn. Jesus is saying, don't, don't condemn because with your, that condemnation that you're putting on people, that's how you're going to be condemned. But Jesus a little bit later says, you know what I want you to do, though? You need a crino, you need a judge. You need to find out, you know, the people that you're talking, that are talking, you know, they could be wolves and sheep tulling. So you need to evaluate that. Are, are they, you know, you know, those people that are talking, they, they could be false prophets. You need to evaluate that. You know, those people that are, you'll know them by their fruits. You need to evaluate the fruit. You're just not going to pick any fruit off the tree and start eating it. Is it a good fruit? Is it a bad fruit? And so we we do this all the time. It's a judging of accountability. If you say you're a believer, then I have every responsibility, and so do you, to be able to hold people to account. Well, you know, I mean, you say you're a believer, but you know what? Your life is not measuring up to what the Bible says. Are you sure you're a believer? This is why Jesus says, you know, treat them like an... An unbeliever. How's that? You share the gospel with them. You share the gospel with them. In uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, page 954, if you want to go there. There is this man. It's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you. He's talking to the church now. He's not talking to the people in Corinth. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He says, you know, there's immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated, even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn Let him who has done this be removed from among you? Paul is saying, you guys are like, look at this guy, you know, it's, it's I guess, you know, if that's what he wants to do. They're arrogant about it. And Paul is more disgusted with their attitude than he is the sin. The sin is very disgusting in its sense. And he goes on and he tells them how to, you know, get rid of him. But in verse 12, he says this, after he talks to them about what they should do and how they should treat this man. In verse 12, he says, For what have I to do with crino, judging outsiders, in other words, people outside the church? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to crino, judge? God condemns those outside the church. Purge purge the evil person from among you. You, we, We have no grounds to judge the world. We cannot expect the world to live by biblical standards. It's not for them. The Bible is for you. The Bible is for us. This is why when the church is filled with unbelievers, people try to appease them not to make them mad we want to be sensitive we don't want to preach you know condemnation or judgment or sin and uh, you know if you know, going to hell you know jesus loves everyone he loves you too you know just please please if you can accept what jesus christ did for you yeah i'll accept it maybe you know the the word is for you and the word is a hammer The word is a double-edged sword. The word is fire. The word is proclaimed in such a way that it does cut. And it should change my life. I'm not to judge those outside the world. I'm to judge you. And the judgment is not a condemnation, but to help you see this is what the word says. Let's evaluate this. Let's talk together. Because, brother, your life means more. it, It means a lot to me. I want you to be saved. And I tell my family the same thing. I want them to be saved. I want them to be in heaven. I told the families yesterday, look, you guys want to see? Ethan's there. I know he's there. Do you want to see him? Well, here's what you got to do. Not just because in every funeral, every funeral that I've gone to, oh, this this painter, this guy, he's up there painting God's fence. He's telling God what to do. Tell him, I'm going to paint it this color, but I like gold. I'll paint it gold. You know, I mean, it's these are words that I've heard. He's up there telling the angels, bossing people around. That's just the kind of person he was. It's like, Everybody goes. And we need to be careful as far as how we communicate the gospel. And the gospel message is very simple. Always has been. Jesus died for your sin. And he wants to save you. Save me from what? Well, at the end of this verse, uh, at the end of this chapter, it says, Jesus who delivers us from what? The wrath to come. Jesus saves you. God saves you from himself. Jesus died on the cross to save you from God. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? Wait a minute, what? He saved me? Yeah, he did. Number five. When God changes you, he chooses you, he changes you, he generates genuine repentance. We're going to be talking a lot more about genuine repentance. But for now, it's a total transformation. And they were transformed from idolatry. And this is one of the things, for they themselves, verse 9 says, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They turned. They were literal idols that they were worshiping. They were griven images. They were they were things either carved or or they were uh, shaped out of clay or they were uh, made out of metal. But they were images that they were looking at. And today, many of us say, "Well, you know, I don't have any images." Well, thank God, you know, I don't do that. You know, I'm not I'm not into that kind of stuff. You know, because that that's that would be. Violating the, one of the Ten Commandments. Do not have any grim images before me. Now we know that there are some people that still walk in that kind of lifestyle with grim images in their homes. And you might say, well, I, at least I don't have any. I, I don't, I've gotten rid of all that. But you see, an idol, an idol has been defined as anything that takes the place of God. You see, we, we may not be praying to idols. But we could be praying and asking, you know, God, you know, just please, please, you know, that we, uh, an idol can be anything—a spouse, it can be finances, it can be children, it can be a job. Lord, just give me a spouse, give me a wife, Lord, just give one wife, just give me somebody that I can, I can love forever, that can love me as well. And all of a sudden, uh, a woman shows up, or a man shows up, and God. You know, I, I, I'm sure you've seen this on TV. A lot of times when something like that happens and it seems to be supernatural, it's not supernatural. They they mock Christianity by saying, oh, thank you, Lord. You, you brought me the one I want. Oh, yeah, that's the one I wanted. And a lot of times people, when they do that, they're making that person their idol. And, and sometimes what will happen is that you'll either you'll either be there with the. A rabbit's foot, a crystal, maybe a cross, or something to that extent. And you're, you're, Lord, please, please, you know, just make this happen. And boom, you get a job. This must be the job that God gave me. And you know what? It was because of my cross, or because of my crystal, or because of my rabbit's foot. I'm going to keep this thing with me for good luck. It's because of the necklace my mom gave me. It's because of the, whatever the case may be. Y- you see... Many times we are praying for something good to happen, and good things happen, and we attribute it to the way that I prayed or the things that I'm praying to. And God sometimes, a lot of times, He says no. But, you know, we take it upon ourselves that He said yes. And we take every opportunity, every circumstance that happens around us to be a signal from God to say, that's what you need to do. That door was open, so I walked in. If God didn't want me to be going through that door, he would have shut that door. But since it was open, I walked right in. Beloved, we have to use wisdom. We have to use wisdom. When you have genuine repentance, you repent away from the things of this world, you turn around, you walk away, and you turn toward God. And God is the one that gives you the directions right here. And you understand that everything that he says in his word is how we operate. So who do I marry, Pastor Saul? What job do I have? You, you know, that you marry the person. A lot of times people find somebody and they call them their soulmate. This is my soulmate. Unfortunately, they, or some people I think have five or six different souls, you know, because they got five or six different soulmates. Every every once in a while, every six months, I got me a new soulmate. Really, what'd you do with your other soulmate? What'd you do with your soul? <laughs> I, I sold it. I wouldn't use it anyways. You know, it wasn't working any good for me. Uh, what happened? <laughs> and, and what we have to understand is that yes, God God will bring people in your life, but you don't find somebody that you are infatuated with. You commit to somebody that's committed first and foremost to God, and they're willing to commit to you. And they're willing to commit to the marriage. And they're willing to commit for the long haul. Now, in that whole process of marriage and getting married, the word love should not even be part of it. How can you love somebody that you don't even know? Because the very first thing that happens once you get married, oh boy, I don't love this person. I don't even like this person. You did. you know? I mean, they're bringing in all their baggage from how they grew up. And, and, and two sinners come together. But commitment... You know what, I'm going to commit to this person in spite of what I may find out. And sometimes you find out some dirt. I'm not looking at you. <laughs> I know you're looking at me. <laughs> sometimes you find out some dirt. Okay, yeah, we're going to stop there. This. this is not a marriage counseling class. <laughs> Choose wisely. And you You commit. And you turn, and you don't cause everything. Everything that happens, yes, all things happen. God puts them together. He makes everything happen. But not everything that's happening is for your benefit. Sometimes it happens for God to test you. Let's see how wise you are. Let me see how you're. Uh, let me see how how you are doing in your in your walk with God. Do you really want to serve me? Do you really? And God will bring you these tests and challenges, and He'll check your wisdom. As a matter of fact, one of the things that we'll touch on uh, a little bit later is Peter would say, you know, you need to check yourself, test yourself to see if you're really in the faith. And this is one of the ways that he does so. Genuine repentance. Like I said, we'll talk more about that later uh, in, in what, what God does. But this is the last thing. And again, the, the, the book of the Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians, has to do with the anticipation or to anticipate the Lord's return. I don't think I put that apostrophe S in there, did I? Please put it in there for me in your outlines. I told our, our sound tech, I said, I'm going to put an apostrophe S on there. Yes, he, he did. But I didn't. I forgot to put it on there. I did? Oh, yeah. There was something I was. I put a number two there? Oh. <laughs> Thanks for the great. You see, we try to do everything as, as best as possible. I mean, to the T, but every once in a while, we'll throw something in there just for those of you that like to pick at things. Just, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anticipate the Lord's return. You see, Thessalonians, Paul is talking about his return. He goes on in chapter seven, uh, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians, he'll say, you know, those guys, what are those guys doing up on the hill? And, and a lot of them are up there just waiting. What are they waiting for? Well, they're waiting for Jesus' to return. And what are you doing? We're taking them food. Why? Well, because they're hungry. But aren't they working? Says, no, they're waiting for Jesus to return. And Paul says, you know what? Eh, that's nonsense. If they don't work, they don't eat. I always thought that was my mom that used to say that. Like, no trabaja, no come. You know, the, the, if you don't eat, if you don't work, you don't eat. And I come to find out it was Paul that said that. And he's talking about the return and how we anticipate. We'll talk about the rapture. We'll talk about how we are to encourage one another with these words. Because, beloved, right now we need Jesus Christ to come quickly. Amen. You have not yet felt the tribulation or the trials or the the suffering that goes on. There's three types of tribulation that are going to happen. are the tribulations that each one of us go through on a regular basis. There's the tribulation that happens at the beginning of the seven years. And then there's the great tribulation that will take place three and a half years into into the, the tribulation period. And right now, more than anything, we have not even begun to understand it. We hear about it. We hear about what's happening to Christians around the world. We hear how, how they are being caged and doused with gasoline, set on fire, beheaded. We, we hear about how their children are being tortured and mutilated and beat up. And and we hear about those things, but we have not yet sensed it. We're starting to see bits and pieces of it now with this agenda that's moving throughout our nation. And, and how little by little it's just moving Christianity out. And now you become... Uh, you become an enemy of the state because of the laws that are being made. And if you don't adhere to these laws, you become an enemy of the state. Your possessions can be taken away. Your property can be taken away. Uh, You know, bank accounts are now just all united. All the bank accounts now have a, a way for them to monitor and to either disconnect or connect you or take it all away from you. And the time is coming when this persecution is going to happen. We need to be praying for the, the rapid and the quick return of the Lord. But before we, and, and this is one of the signs of many Christians, many believers. The, the, one, of the, one of the evidences of your genuine faith is that that's what you're waiting for. You know, we're just living through this world. We, we do what we can, and, and we work while we wait. We work while we wait. And we wait for the Lord to return. You see, in Titus chapter 2, Titus tells us that for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are waiting. We are waiting. And this is why when I said earlier in 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You need to confirm your calling and election. And if at one point in time you said, Well, I became a Christian a long time ago, so I'm good. You need to confirm that. You need to check that. You need to be diligent in confirming your calling, your election, and what God is doing in your life. And you you evaluate it, and you evaluate it. There are a lot of people walking around in churches today that believe that I did the magic prayer. So I'm going on the magic bus. When magic Jesus shows up, you know, I'm getting there. Or when I die, you know, I'm not going anywhere else, but but in heaven. And and, uh, this is the thought of many people. And unfortunately... There are going to be a lot of people that Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. But didn't we say, Lord, Lord? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we do all these things? Workers of iniquity. And our responsibility as a church is to help you to grow and to develop and to confirm that calling. Let me ask you to stand. Paul saw these qualities in the church at Thessalonica. He saw these qualities. He saw these, uh, the, you know, well, actually he didn't see it, but he heard about what was going on. And so he was celebrating that they were, you know, this is what they are doing. This is, this is how far they've come. And this is, this is what they are now, you know, suffering for. And it was a church that he didn't spend a whole lot of time with. But you know what? The Word of God can do something amazing in your life. Thank you, Father, for that promise. For the the promise of your word that can change uh, a sinner like me, condemned, unclean. And uh, Father, I just thank you for that. And I know there are many people out there that still need to hear this message. They're not going to want to hear it. And that's okay, Lord. It's not my responsibility to make them feel good about it. It's not our responsibility to make it easier for them. My responsibility is to share the truth and you do the rest. So thank you, Lord, for what... um, this book, this epistle has, has taught us so far, and the great things that we'll learn as we go on to chapter 2. I pray that we take this home today to go over it, study the notes, uh, read more, and, um, and and dive into it, and do our own study of it, and to hear some more of your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, amen and amen. All right. Now, I don't know if you guys have been told, but we... Oh, never mind. I was going to announce a... Uh, We're going to have a surprise party for one of our graduating members of our church. Oh, he did? Oh, did you say it was going to be a surprise? Okay. Okay, there you go. That's good enough. (laughs) All right. God bless you guys.